Well, thanks, team. It is good to gather and be reminded of these things, to sing truths to ourselves, to each other uh, before God. It's a tremendous thing. Um, So there's an occupational hazard attached to preaching, and it's this. Uh, Sunday afternoons, I rewrite my sermons and think, oh, I should have said, and if I, oh, and... And so this past Sunday was no exception. I spent the afternoon in my head rewriting my sermon and thinking, oh, I should have said it this way or that way. Or... And usually I can shake that feeling by the evening. Uh, this week, not so much. And so now I'm lying awake in bed Monday morning early, 5 o'clock if you want to know, uh, rewriting my sermon still and going, oh, I but. And it began to occur to me that maybe there's something more than just this being an occupational hazard. So I spent uh, some time early in the week revisiting uh, the text that we looked at last week in John chapter 8. And I'm not sure I put the emphasis in the right syllable, if you catch my drift, right? I didn't, maybe I didn't quite. So I prayed, and I sat, and I decided that I'm going to take a second kick at the can. So this is me taking a second kick at the can. Um, And we're going to revisit the same text. Rather than looking at Jesus' wilderness temptation stories, which is an amazing text, and I invite you to go to that at some point, as Jesus um, confronts the father of lies, I actually want to come back to the text in John chapter 8. I felt like there is something uh, that I perhaps missed that is important not to miss. So, uh, another note, just a quick note, uh, um, and this fed into this. uh, So Marie, who led us so beautifully in worship last week, uh, I point to the keyboard because that's where she was standing, um, she sent me a a link to a blog. I don't know, every now and then people send me kind of stuff. Well, actually, a lot of times. So some of them I read, honestly, and this one I did, and it was very good. It's by a pastor called David Hood, call him out by name, uh, he is from Southeast City Church in Ottawa, so sort of ground zero, if you will, uh, of what's been happening in our country a little bit over the last few weeks. And he's writing to a blog to his community, but it's a blog, so it's beyond his community a bit. And I thought he did an excellent job. Uh, we posted, well, there's no, <laughs> there's no we in this. Uh, people who are tech savvy posted, so Jenna really, and maybe Susan, posted on Facebook this link to this blog, also on our website, you're welcome to read it, actually. It's quite thoughtful. You don't even have to agree with that. But it would be a great conversation starter, at the very least. So uh, I just point that out to you as well. As he sort of reflects a little bit on Christian freedom as well and how we might locate ourselves in this moment. I, I, he really did an excellent job. So, in my opinion. But let us revisit then the text from last week. Uh, and here again... Uh, God addressing us. And I hope this time I might actually uh, land in the right uh, emphasis, the right space. So let's hear this text. It was John chapter 8. Jesus is interacting with his hearers, many of whom are religious leaders of his day, Pharisees and others perhaps. And he's kind of embroiled in an argument with them about um, truth and truth claims And this is where we pick up the conversation. John chapter 8, verse 31 to 41. Just hear God's word to us again. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. 
Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, they answered, We're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say we'll be set free? And Jesus replied, Well, truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son, wow, a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I've seen in the father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they replied. Well, if you were Abraham's children, you would do as Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the work of your own father. And if you were to follow that text on, Jesus then um, identifies uh, the father of lies as their father, uh, Satan. It's quite a, quite a jarring statement, actually, by Jesus. Um, so I went back over my notes I, um, quite a bit, actually, from last week, and I thought, well, um, really what I was trying to get at last week in this text, right, that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. What I lifted out of the text is that uh, in the Christian faith, two things, in the Christian faith, truth is not primarily an abstract set of ideas that you need to be super smart to discover, but truth is um, actually ultimately revealed in a person, the person of Jesus. Jesus is truth. And as such, knowing truth isn't about, um, you know, necessarily going to school and studying deeply. Those, 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 those things are good. Uh, truth is, is relational. You encounter truth by encountering Jesus. The second thing that I try to lift out is that freedom isn't in the Christian life about doing what I want, whenever I want, regardless of the people around me. That's not actually the biblical definition of freedom. Freedom is always envisioned as freedom from sin, slavery, something like that, to freedom, um, love, kindness, um, forgiveness. So it's a freedom from one thing, freedom to another. Um, and if I were to quote David Hood, the uh, pastor from Ottawa, he says this about it, actually. Uh, Christianity does not support hyper-individualism and absolute autonomy. Regardless of what our legal rights might be, there is a higher calling. And he's drawing directly from Philippians chapter 2 where Paul writes to the church and says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value one another above yourselves, not looking only to your own interests, but also, uh, but to each of you, uh, but each of you to the interests of others. And so freedom is always sort of envisioned with um, how do we serve one another? How do we love one another? Um, that's, that's what we're called to. So freedom from, but freedom to. Um, and to be honest, as I went through those notes again, I think those are, um, th those are true, actually. Jesus does embody truth. Jesus is the embodiment of God's truth. The Bible's clear on that. Um, and that I think our freedom is our 
Christian freedom is about serving the other in love. Um, I'm just not sure that that's quite what Jesus was getting at in this text. Those are true statements. There's probably better, well, there are better scriptures to support those. Uh, I think there's something else going on here that I want to circle back to uh, that lies more at the heart of what Jesus is speaking at that I missed. Now, I missed it, but I'm in good company, or at least I'm in company, because Jesus' original hearers missed it too, (laughs) you might notice. Um, Jesus says, uh, if you hold to my teaching, you are my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and then his hearers say, we're Abraham's descendants, we've never been slaves to anyone. How can you tell us we shall be set free, or that we need to be set free? And so curiously, Jesus' first hearers missed what Jesus was saying as well. So I'm in at least their company. And what they fail to recognize, and what I think I sometimes fail to recognize, is the condition of our heart and what Jesus is really trying to address. The mistake I make sometimes um, is this, is that I, and I make it with alarming frequency actually, is I tend to think in externals. So I'll think to myself, we live in Canada, we're a free country. And for the most part, that's accurate, right? We don't live in North Korea, for instance, where you would have considerably less external freedoms. Or you don't live, um, you don't wake up this morning with the threat of war at your doorstep, like our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, right? That's not your reality either. So in many ways, it's true. We are uh, free, But I tend to think of freedom in terms of externals, like freedom of movement. I actually want a vacation where I want a vacation. I don't want you to tell me where I should go or not go. Um, And I'm kind of hopeful that I might be able to do some vacationing this summer, maybe even in BC. Um, But it's really, what turns out to be really hard is booking a vacation. Um, But that's a whole other sermon. Freedom of speech, right? We value that. We value that we are able to say some things, and there's, I think, parameters perhaps around that. Uh, We value freedom of religion, that we can gather here, that there's nobody standing at the door with a gun barring our way into this building, Uh, that you have freedom to gather online, that, that you don't have to worry about some kind of secret police in your apartment building or whatever. All right, we value these things, and they're good. I'm not trying to discredit that. But I don't think it's what Jesus is talking about. Um, Jesus seems far more concerned with the condition of our heart. Listen again to, so, you know, his initial hearers, like me, missed what he was on about. Jesus is speaking kind of down here, and everybody else is sort of up here, uh, me included. Listen to what he says, though. Truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, if the son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence and you are doing what you've heard from your Father. It occurred to me as I went back to this text that Jesus' first audience here, the people he's addressing, live under Roman rule. They live in a restricted society. They are not free. 
right? You think of restrictions. You think you've got restrictions in our culture. Try living under Roman rule if you want restrictions. And they would have had soldiers on every corner or at least every sort of second corner reminding them that you're not free. And it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't address that here in this text. He doesn't say, well, if you want to be free, you know, take up arms against Rome or something like that. It's not the invitation at all. He's talking about the condition of our hearts. Jesus recommends, in fact, that slavery and non-freedom, unfreedom, if that's a word, um, actually is much, much deeper. So what Jesus talks about being slaves to sin, in our culture we talk about addiction. Uh, being an addict, being a slave to sin. And uh, one of the best books I have on my shelf by Gerald May called Addiction and Grace, it's really, it's, it's stunningly good, um, writes these words, to be alive is to be addicted and to be alive and addicted is to stand in need of grace. And his argument is that we're all addicted, just some of our addictions are more socially acceptable, or we have a little bit more of a handle on them or whatever. But uh, really, he's saying in contemporary language, what Jesus is saying in biblical language, we're all slaves to sin. This is actually all of our condition. And let me quote again from David Hood from his blog post. As he thinks this through, he says, while political freedom is good... It is not true freedom. True freedom is living the way we were meant to with the one we were created for. And that freedom is only found in Jesus Christ. That freedom requires no laws, no judges, and no governments to uphold it. It is upheld by God in heaven, and it exists regardless of earthly circumstances. Hear that. It exists regardless of earthly circumstances. We can have all the political freedoms on earth and still be slaves. We can have absolutely zero political freedoms and still be the freest we've ever been. So, I realize that even if all of the pandemic restrictions were lifted overnight, and by the sounds of it, they will be next week, and I'm grateful at many levels, I really am, but even when that happens... Even when that happens, we might still be angry, cynical, bitter, resentful people. Right? The restrictions don't get at any of that. It turns out that the fracture in our culture that we've seen, the fracture that maybe I've even contributed to, restrictions or no restrictions doesn't speak to that. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. Your primary issue isn't that you're in living under Roman rule. That's not your primary slavery. The primary slavery is the condition of your heart. You are slaves to sin. That's what I've come to address. That's what you need. Jesus recognizes that things are so much deeper. This is really what Jesus um, gets at in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you, like what he's concerned about, I'm concerned about the tree. Jesus is concerned about the roots. I mean, listen to this text. Uh, right out of the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay? That's true. The Bible says that. 
But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, or a contemporary word, idiot, you idiot, is answerable in court. And anyone who says you're a fool will be in dangers of the fires of hell. Now, lots of people dismiss this text as Jesus is kind of overreach or sort of over, you know, it's hyperbole gone crazy. Um, it's not a livable statement. Jesus is being, you know, um, he's just reacting. But I think what they miss is what he's getting at, right? During the pandemic, I will confess, I have murdered no one. Okay? Full disclosure. And it actually wasn't that hard not to not murder. Okay? Have I called anybody an idiot? Have I been angry with my brother or sister? Have I called them fools? Have I had contempt in my heart? Right? Do you see what Jesus is getting at? Do you see where this is landing? The issue isn't the externals primarily. That matters. But Jesus says the slavery that you struggle with is so much deeper. It is the condition of your heart. And the good news, the profoundly good news, is that Jesus says he will set us free. That's what he's come to address, is the condition of my heart. The gospel, the good news, deals with our deepest need that we're all addicts, and we all need grace. Timothy Keller, I do love this quote of his, says this, the gospel is this, okay? The good news of Jesus Christ is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we have ever dared believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Right? I am beginning to realize that I am more flawed than I had imagined. And that sin actually does affect me more deeply than I realized. That's what Keller, that's the first part of that statement. And perhaps the biggest lie that I buy into is that I actually don't need God. Or that, you know, my freedom and my happiness don't depend on God. Well, if only they got rid of these restrictions. Or pre-pandemic, if only I could buy this product. Or if only that person wasn't in my life. Or if only they weren't such an idiot. If only they thought the way I thought. Well, then my life would be a bit better. Then I'd be happier. Right? I'm thinking in externals. But the issue's here. And with you as well, I think. We fail to realize how deeply these lies are embedded in us and how deeply they've distorted us. But, (laughs) and that sounds very depressing, and it is somewhat, but, but, the story isn't a depressing story, right? Buchner refers to it as a divine comedy. It has, like, it has an uptick. Um, But, the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope, 
we encounter Jesus who offers to set us free, who offers to address the, the deep condition of our lives, not just the surface condition of our lives. This is profoundly good news. Right? This is grace. In fact, it's such good news that we're going to spend the next six weeks. The Lent series is going to be unpacking grace, amazing grace. It's the name of our series. We're going to look for six weeks at amazing grace and how good this news is. You're going to get good news for six weeks. It's going to be, a, it's going to be great. <laughs> I can't wait. This is such good news. I do want to offer a quick caveat, though, um, and this may not be your story. It is my story, so I'll just be upfront about it. Um, and it's a statement that somebody somewhere, probably at Regent, but I can't trace it, so I, I'll just credit some vague person at Regent College saying this to me. This statement, salvation that Jesus offers, right? Jesus will set us free, salvation. Salvation is not the same as a solution, and I heard that statement and it's sort of been churning somewhere in the back of my head for 20 years. Um, and what, what is meant is this. I, I grew, I don't know, this, like I say, this is my story. It may not be yours. I grew up with a version of Christianity that promised that Jesus would fix everything. That your life would just be better. It, I, I was going to say they didn't say it, but I think they actually did say it. <laughs> Jesus will just make your life better. Um, and, and I heard that and interpreted that as like Jesus is going to fix all my problems. And I don't think that's actually accurate. Um, life is what it is. And some of that, some of your experience in life is going to be hard. You're going to have health issues. And Jesus doesn't automatically remove that. You're going to have relational issues. There are going to be people in your life that are going to be difficult and, and there's going to be relational strain and even a relational fracture. Um, you might lose your job or you might be in a job you don't like and kind of feel stuck there, right? There are things that happen in our broader culture that you may well not agree with. Um, you know, there's sooner or later there's going to be a bad storm and the tree is going to fall on your car or your house. These things will happen. Jesus, in, as I understand it, doesn't keep us from that. Jesus doesn't fix us and fix all those things. My life is not going to be problem-free. That's not the promise here. The promise is that Jesus meets me in all of these places. The hope is that whether life is good or bad, whether I'm, you know, there's some kind of victory or there's ongoing struggle, whether there's deep, deep joy or deep, deep sadness, is that God meets me in all of those places and is forming and shaping me. And inviting, to, and inviting me to be free in him. It's a freedom that's not attached to those things. It's a freedom that's attached to Jesus. And it's not easy. It's, it's, it's complicated. I make missteps all the time, which is why I need you and why you might actually need each other and me. We do it together in community. I love how Soren Kierkegaard, I've not read a lot of Soren Kierkegaard. I probably should. I uh, I love this quote, though. Now, with God's help, I shall become myself. Right? The promise in this text, and I think the deeper truth of this text, is that Jesus says, you know, if you come to me with my help, I will set you free. You can become your truest self. 
And it speaks to, I think, one of the deepest lies in our culture, which is the lie that Adam and Eve bought into and I think has a million permutations in our, in our lives, is that, well, we don't actually need God. We can figure it out on our own. I can define good and bad by myself. I don't need God to help me figure that out. I can be happy by myself. I don't need God. I can fix these relationships or I can just go through life without God. And it's a lie. Because the deep-seated stuff that's going on in my life, the brokenness, the mess, Jesus touches it. That's it. And right here, he promised to do so. Very very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's you and I. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son and daughter, assumed here, belongs to it forever. So if the son, if Jesus sets you free, you will be free indeed. Friends, I... I hope you hear this the way it's intended. Um, I'm on the same journey you are. Um, You know, on the surface, you and I struggle perhaps with different things. But in reality, we're we're all, I I really, I was deeply impacted by Gerald Maid's book. We're all addicts. We all need grace. And I can think of no better practice at this moment than communion where we, it's the great equalizer. We all come to tell, it doesn't matter if you have a lot of money, if your life looks like it's put together or not. It, it, like it, none of it seems to matter at the table. We all come to the table as the same broken people desperately in need of grace. And so we're going to practice communion. Let me just bring these into focus for you folks online. We're going to practice communion. I know we did this last week, but I, honestly, I can think of no better practice um, and, than this, is we will now do with our bodies what I've been saying to you with my words. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth. Assumed in this text, you'll know me And the truth, Jesus, will set you free. So we come to this table this morning as slaves, or if you want the the contemporary word, and you might have to spend some time thinking it through, but we're addicts. We all struggle habitually with practices that make us less ourselves. But in this case, we are in good company. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see again and again Jesus eats with, in fact, desires to eat with, people of questionable moral character. So much so that Jesus' enemies refer to him as a friend of sinners, which I think they intended as a criticism. I'm quite sure Jesus took it as a badge of honor. I think he was pretty happy to be called that. Yeah. You know, ironically, it may be the one thing they said they got right. (laughs) It's precisely who Jesus is. A friend of sinners, a friend of you and I. And he welcomed, as he welcomed people so often at the table who perhaps couldn't, shouldn't have imagined being there, he welcomes us at this table. He's not just a friend of sinners, as it turns out. He's a friend of me. 
And here at the table, then, we encounter Jesus, the one who offers to set us free. So at the table, we, we both confess, God, I need you. And we receive, God, I take what you offer, forgiveness. This practice it literally embodies what Jesus is talking about in this text. Um, it's a confession of who we are, but it is also an embracing of who God is, truly. Remember, right at the beginning of this series, we say the father of lies lies most profoundly about who God is and who you are and the vision of the good life. Communion brings it back into focus. Well, who you are is broken but deeply loved. Who God is is incredibly gracious. And he longs to embrace you. And the good life is to come to Jesus and allow him to deal with the stuff that's sort of deep-seated. Let him bring true freedom, not just the externals.